Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I'm glad all of you have joined us today. My name is John, and I'm the pastor here. Um, and if you hadn't noticed, and I'm going to take a minute before I actually get into the message to, to address this. We got a new setup today, right? So we, they went out, and like the screens went out, like in the middle of the, <laughs> the, the one of the songs, and then we had no words, and they were re- rebooting the computer and getting it fixed really, really fast. But you might have noticed there were no words up there. Um, I also didn't have any words on my screen that I look at, and I panicked. But I think I got them right, <laughs> all right, just, just out of pure luck. But we got this, this new setup, which is really cool. Uh, in fact, uh, this is going to be up at least through Christmas, but these these. Uh, TVs were donated. That's like 18 feet of TVs up there. Um, but it's weird, okay? Now, I've always, I've been leading worship here for a long time, and usually what we have is we had the screens out at the sides, right? So they are on the stands out here. I don't know what that was. Out here at the end, uh, we had the screens, which what that meant was that when we were actually doing the music and worship, would be up here, would be leading, and I'm looking out, and I'm looking at nobody's face, all right, because I would look out and everybody would be like this. All right, because you're all looking at the words on the screen. So I would sing to the side of everybody's face every week. And I was like, you know, we really we need to get the words in the middle. Like we need to get them where where everybody's focused in the same place. And and that'll be a lot better. And then we did that today. And as we were leading, I looked out and I was like, whoo, like they're all looking at me. I have, to, I have to get used to this, all right? I was like, they're judging me. They're all judging me. I was never worried about that when you were looking at the screen. Um, but anyway, uh, so we've got that going on, man. We're really excited. We implemented that because we thought it would be really cool for Christmas, and uh, we're going to do some neat things uh, with, with that over Christmas. And um, it's uh, an exciting season, and uh, I'm, I'm like all into it, by the way. I know I have the reputation of being a Grinch, but I'm not. Once we, clear, once we clear Thanksgiving, I'm ready to go. We can Christmas all we want, all right? So uh, I'm listening to Christmas music in the cars, and I love the trees and the lights and driving around and seeing all the things. And we were talking about going up to Tanglewood, and I'm excited about that. And someone was telling us about the racetrack, and I was like, well, maybe we need to go do that too. And so, like, I'm into Christmas. But I think we all know Christmas is a, um, a busy time. It is a very busy time. Lots of schedules and plans and events and expectations and all kinds of things. It can be absolutely crazy. And, and I don't know about, like, our life is nuts, and we're going to do um, all the Christmas things up until uh, Christmas Eve Eve when we're having our services here. And then uh, Christmas Eve morning, we're getting into the car and we're driving to New York because that's where both of our families live. And so we're driving to New York and we're going to do the long drive first on Christmas Eve. And then we're going to spend a couple days with Jess's family. And then we're going to drive and spend a couple days with my family. And then we're going to drive back and that's going to be overnight. So like, even once we get to Christmas, it doesn't let up all the way to the end of the year. It's like, boom, boom, boom. And we have all the dominoes stacked up, and they have to fall right in order. And if they don't fall in order, it's going to be a mess. (laughs) You ever feel like that? Things need to go just according to plan. Because if they don't go according to plan, they are all going to fall apart. remember one year in particular, we were going home. And I've told this story before, but some of you are new, so all my stories are new to you. Um, and so we, uh, we were going home for Christmas one year, and our church did Christmas Eve Eve service, just like uh, we do. And so we decided that we were going to do the drive to New York after the Christmas Eve Eve services. We had two of them. And we were going to leave at like 9 o'clock, jump in the car, already have it packed. We were going to drive 
part of the way overnight, or if I could make it the whole way, I was going to go the whole way. Um, I've always said I could be a long-distance truck driver if I needed to be. And so I was going to try and do the drive all night. But I got, I got in the car, and I was so wiped out after the services that I just couldn't make it. I made it like two or three hours into the drive. And we were somewhere at that point in the middle of West Virginia or like the, like the southern end of West Virginia or something. And we just had to find a place to stay. We had no plan. I was going to try and drive it through. But we had to find a place on the fly at like 1 a.m. And so we pull into, oh, I don't know where we were, I think it was West Virginia, but we pull in and uh, we find a, uh, I think it was a Holiday Inn. And, and we pulled up and um, to, the, to the door, Jess and the kids, and the kids were tiny, tiny, little, little, like Josie maybe had just been born. And, um, and so we had three small children. We pull up at 1 a.m. to the Holiday Inn and I go inside and I go up to the desk and I talk to the person there and I come back out. And I sit down in the car, and Jess says, all right, what room are we in? I said, we're not staying here. She said, why not? I said, it's too expensive. She's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> she, said, she said, nothing is too expensive right now. These children and you need to get some sleep. And I was like, well, listen, listen. I saw across the street, I saw a microtel, and they, you're, oh, you're already laughing because you know. All right, I saw a microtel, and I said, I said, they're advertising $10 less a night, all right? And I was like, so we're going to go over there. Now, I had never stayed at a microtel, so I didn't know. And some of you are laughing because you know. And so I went in, and sure enough, got the rate that we got. They gave us the, the, the key to the hotel room. We walk up to the hotel room. I kid you not, it's a bed with four walls that go right up to the edge, that's all it is. I mean, it is super efficient. And so then we tried to spend the night in hotel. And I'm, I'm exaggerating, but uh, literally, literally, it's like a king size bed and then like two feet of space around every edge. And then there was like a window seat. And so I slept in the window seat or tried to while Jess slept in the bed. And by the time we got up the next morning, it was a complete disaster, a complete nightmare. We got into the car, had to then do another nine hours to go to my family's house, and we were exhausted. And I got, it like, basically ruined the entire holiday because we were exhausted Christmas morning. We were still exhausted, and it blew everything up. It just did not go according to plan. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I couldn't get over it. I couldn't get over it. It does that when things don't go according to plan. But you know what? I look at the Christmas story, and we've read it, all of us have read it a hundred times, I'm sure, heard it many, many times, and nothing went according to plan, <laughs> or at least it didn't look like it. I and mean, when you look at the, the story of the nativity, it's a mess from start to finish. And we, we sing songs like Silent Night, <laughs> but yeah, right. You know, I've been in a hospital room where a baby was being born. There's nothing silent about it, right? I mean, the whole thing was, it, nothing seemed to be going according to plan. Just even the conception, right? Angel comes and talks to Mary and says, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come over you and you're going you're gonna to become, you know, you're going to be with child. And she's engaged to a guy. And then, and then Joseph, she becomes, she's pregnant, of course, she becomes pregnant, and, and Joseph, he has it in his mind to divorce her quietly, but an angel comes to him and says, no, 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 take her to be your wife. And so they're dealing with all of the cultural, I mean, you think about, in, in our society, it's one thing, in their society, it's a totally different thing. 
The idea that she would be she would be with child before while they were engaged before they were even married was unthinkable. So they're dealing with all the societal pressure of that and everything that goes around that. Right? Joseph is having to deal with this and reconcile everything that's going on and figure out what he's going to do. That's it's a relational mess. They, the census is called for, right when the time is, it's time for her to give birth and a census is called for and they have to go on a long trip. They got to pile into the, 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 you know, well, pile onto the donkey, I guess, but pile, they have to pile onto the donkey and make this long, long trip to Bethlehem because that's where Joseph's family is from. They get to town and obviously Bethlehem is not capable of handling the kind of capacity that an event like a census brings in and so there's no space for him anywhere. They try to, there's not even a microtel. They don't even have that option. <laughs> and so they can't find anywhere, and they end up getting put in the stable, which might have been a wooden structure like we always see, or it might have been a cave, or it might have been like a basement uh, under a house or whatever. But they end up in a, with the animals for her to give birth. None of this is going according to plan. When Mary was a five-year-old girl... <laughs> And she was going over what her life was going to look like and how she was going to get married and have kids one day and planned out the whole thing. Nothing like that happened. Just looked like a complete and utter mess. And then she's in this, she's basically in a barn. She gives birth to Jesus, which, yes, he's the son of God, but still giving birth to a baby without an epidural. Okay? And so that's all happening. And about the time that's happening, some rando shepherds show up. Can you imagine, if those of you that have have had children, that have given birth, can you imagine just, I mean, well, I guess random people do come into the hospital room when you're having the baby, like nurses and stuff. Could you imagine some, some random people who came from Lexington, and they were like, oh, well, someone told us that a baby was being born, so we thought we would come visit you. Like, What? Like, we don't want anybody in here right now, <laughs> let alone you. But the, the nativity scene, even though we have Silent Night, Holy Night, uh, the entire thing was, was, it was a mess. It was a mess. And, and you think about Mary must have been looking, Joseph must have been looking at it and saying, how is this the way this is happening? This cannot be the right way for this to happen. And because it wasn't going to plant, it was not peaceful at all. It's part of the reason that the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders at the time, had such a hard time accepting Jesus as the Messiah. It did not happen the way they thought it was going to happen. what that is that's I don't know what that is I'm just gonna deal with it I'm gonna try not to react next time it happens all right it was not the way they thought it was gonna happen they were expecting a king they were expecting him to show up with pomp and with circumstance and with power and might and political power and they were expecting him to come in and take over they were expecting him to come in the way they thought that a king was coming and that is not at all the way that Jesus entered the world But the truth is that if they had studied the scriptures, they should have known this is the way that he was coming. They should have seen this coming. It's one of the things that Matthew focuses on when he writes his gospel and he talks about the birth of Jesus. 
He focuses in on all the signs that they should have seen and all of the prophecies that verify he is who he said he is. All right, so we're going to read from the Gospel of Matthew today. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, uh, if not, it'll be on the screen. I have to say that singular now. It'll be on the screen up here, but I strongly encourage you to bring Bibles with you, whether that's on your mobile device or whether you bring a print Bible um, so that you can read along with us. Um, So Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy of Jesus because he wants uh, all of his readers to understand that Jesus comes from the line and lineage that the Messiah is supposed to come from. And then he also gives a really interesting timeline point as we go through this. Um, But in Matthew chapter 1, very first verse, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. And then he goes on and he says a lot of other names that I am not going to try to pronounce in front of you today, all right? But he just goes down through the line. He eventually hits King David, and then he progresses on from there. And we're going to pick up in verse 16. All right, and Jacob, uh, and Jacob, it's a different Jacob than before, but Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. So if you looked at the the Christmas story and said, well, the timing doesn't make sense, Matthew would say, yes, it does. It makes perfect sense. And the other thing that I think the sort of subtext that I read here is Matthew, you speaking to people who were Jewish, who may be skeptical of Jesus, would say, uh, you should have seen this coming because the timing makes perfect sense. 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the captivity in Babylon, 14 generations from the captivity in Babylon to Christ. All right. And he goes on, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. All right, and then verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, and this is a prophecy, this is from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. So he's saying that this is how this was supposed to happen. This is what the prophet said would happen. Matthew chapter 2. Now, I'm just gonna, I'm kind of moving through quickly, but Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, of course. Uh, Kings don't like to hear that there's a new king in town. All right, so Herod was not pleased to know that there was a new king around. Right? When the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. 
And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, and this is a prophecy from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the birth in Judea and the birth in Bethlehem versus a birth that would have been expected in, say, Jerusalem, this is exactly how it was supposed to happen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring word to you, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Let me just pause. Uh, If you don't know this part of the story, King Herod, of course, was threatened by the idea of there being a new king. And so when the wise men don't return to him, he basically tried to send them as spies. He said, yeah, 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 go find where the child is and then come back and report it to me so that I can go worship him. (laughs) No, he was not going to go worship him. He wanted to find him and he wanted to kill him. So when he realized that the wise men were not going to be coming back, he just cast... It's getting worse. It's getting worse. This mic has this really cool trick where it just randomly will do that. So, bonus. Anyway, um, no, this is, it's fine. We'll just deal with it. Um, so, uh, instead, so, instead of trying, going directly to where Jesus was, because he didn't know where Jesus was, he issued a degree, cast a wide net for all of the children under a certain age to be killed. And so, that's why God warns Mary and Joseph and says, well, you need to get out of here. So, um, That's verse 13. And then verse 14. When he arose, he took the young child, this is Joseph, and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I called my son. That's Hosea 11.1. And so those aren't all of the prophecies that were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus, but those are a handful of them, and they're the ones that Matthew references. So that we can see that even though we look at the nativity and it certainly didn't go according to what we would plan, it went exactly how God had planned. And the Jewish leaders should have seen this coming. They should have seen that. And then throughout the life of Jesus, he continues to fulfill prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And and just an un thinkable amount of prophecy that Jesus fulfilled, an an improbable amount of prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. So much of what was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, he fulfilled, and in most cases, things that were completely outside of his control, that there's just no way it was by random chance or, or just dumb luck that he fulfilled all of these prophecies from the Old Testament about the Messiah. Some of them he had control over, but a lot of them he didn't. Certainly none of them in his birth, (laughs) if he's not the son of God. Prophet Isaiah said he would be born of a virgin. We already talked about that. The prophet Isaiah said that he would teach in parables, which he did. He also said that Jesus, the Messiah would be silent before his accusers, which Jesus was. Said that he would be killed with criminals, which he was. Isaiah said that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, and he was. 
The prophet Zechariah said he was going to be betrayed, and he was. Said that the money from the betrayal was going to be used to buy a potter's field, which it was. That one to me just like mind-blowing to me. That he said that the 30 pieces of silver that would be, he'd be betrayed for, which was the number given, would be used to buy a potter's field. And then when the, when the, um, uh, uh, the money was given back, so they, they came and they gave the money to Judas to betray Jesus, but he didn't want it. And uh, they called it blood money. They said, we're not going to keep this. And so what did they do? They went and bought a potter's field, which is exactly what Zechariah said was going to happen or what God said through him. Zechariah said that he would be pierced for us. David said that he would be called the son of God, which he was. Said that he would be falsely accused, which he was. Said that his hands and feet would be pierced, which may not sound so shocking to us, but David said this hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. It's a Roman creation. The Romans created uh, crucifixion long after David. And David said that his hands and his feet would be pierced. He said that they would gamble for his garments, and they did. He said that he would pray for his enemies, which Jesus did, and said that he would be resurrected, which he was. Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies. And people at the time may have thought that it was going to happen differently, but that was the plan all along. I think that's a really good reminder to us. It's a good reminder because there are times where we look at our life and we say, this cannot be the plan. This cannot be the way that this is supposed to happen. But often when things in our life aren't going our way, it doesn't mean they're not going to plan. It just means they're not going according to our plan. And God's plan may be very different, and I can promise you one thing, that if you engage it and embrace it, God's plan is far better than anything you could plan for yourself. And so we have to learn to trust him. And that's what Mary did. Even though all of this stuff was happening, and that's part of the reason God chose her, because she would trust him, and she would walk with him, and she would be faithful, and she would be obedient. And likewise, he also chose Joseph. And Joseph was faithful, and he was obedient, and he walked. There are people throughout the story that God tells crazy things to. Things that, that just seem so bizarre and outside of what could possibly be true, and yet they believe God, and they do it. The shepherds, they have the angels show up to them in the field, and they say, go to this town, and the, the baby has been born. Good news, uh, great joy, which will be to all people. And these these guys out in the middle of a field who are doing a job that nobody else wanted to do, they were generally considered religious outcasts from the rest of society because they couldn't be cleansed the way everyone else was, because they couldn't go to listen to the scriptures be taught, because they couldn't observe all of the things that good Jews were supposed to observe. These guys who were outcasts of society were called to the side of Jesus being born, and they faithfully went and did it. And when they went and they saw the baby, then they, they then left and were praising God and telling everybody they possibly could about it. These wise men in the east, wherever exactly they're coming from, and however many there are, by the way. Some, JD, will, my son, will tell you this point. He's very proud of it. All right. There, the Bible never says there were three wise men. Never says that. It says there were three gifts. Three gifts, but doesn't say how many wise men. But... Um, 
Not that that matters. So anyway, these wise men, they see a star. And how they know what that's about, how much knowledge they have or whatever, I don't know. We don't really know. They know that they're coming to find a king. And so they set out. And they make the journey. And then when they're warned not to go back to Herod, they don't go back to Herod. All these people that are in these bizarre situations, but because they are faithful and they walk with God through it and they trust him, God does something incredible. And I do think it's important for us to look at our own lives and our own situations and say, there are crazy things happening in our lives, and we don't always understand them. We don't understand why they're happening or when they're happening or, you know, why they're happening right now or how this could be God's plan. But God takes those crazy, broken, weird, twisted, unexpected, scary things, and if we're faithful to him, he takes them and turns them into something beautiful something that brings him honor and glory. This was the plan all along. And it was beautiful because out of it rose our Savior who would take spiritually poor people, who would take broken people, who would take sinful people and offer to make them whole again. People who live in chaos and frustration and fear and anger and anxiety and offer a gift to them that we can't seem to create for ourselves peace. Peace. And I don't just mean peace in our situation or peace in our world. That would be fantastic. I, I would. I would love that, but our world is full of people, and it's full of sin, and it's broken, and he's the only one that could fix all of that, and one day he will. One day Jesus will return, and he will repair what's broken here on earth, but for now, we got to live in the middle of it, and the gift that he offers us transcends this world. It transcends our situations. What God offered to us through this broken, messy nativity was peace with him. And that is good news of great joy. Because all of us in this broken world, we are sinful and we are fallen people. And our relationship with God has been broken by sin. And there's no way by our own effort, by doing all the right things and checking all the right things off of the box and going to all the right church meetings and being just good enough morally or ethically or keeping all of these things, there's no way that a list of laws or rules or anything like that could ever make us even remotely holy enough to stand in front of God Almighty who is pure holiness and goodness. And so we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And without someone, without a sacrifice, without somebody taking our place, we can't do it on our own. Which is why Christmas is such a gift. Because on Christmas, God sent the perfect sacrifice. He had in the law, he had given a whole system for, for uh, atoning for sin. 
for the Israelites. It was a system of sacrifices and all kinds of things, animal sacrifices, things they had to do to atone for sins. But it was never, ever, ever sufficient. There's no way that the blood of bulls or goats or anything could cover sin. And so the gift that God gave on Christmas Day, the incarnation, was the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. Pure and holy, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And that baby that we look at with awe and wonder and You know, we look at nativities and the cute little baby with Mary and Joseph around him and the shepherds are there and the wise men are there. And maybe they actually weren't, but they're in our nativities and and the animals, the cattle are lowing and whatever that is. And and they're all around. We look at this cute little, you know, eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus in the manger. That baby was a sacrifice The point of that child's life, the point of the incarnation, the point of Jesus coming was to give his life on the cross and shed his blood for you and for me. And then to be put into the tomb and on the third day rise again so that by faith in Jesus, trusting in him to save us rather than trying to save ourselves, trusting in him to save us, that we can become children of God that we can receive the Holy Spirit and that we can learn what it means to walk faithfully with him in the freedom and life that he's given us, knowing that just as he raised Jesus to life, he raises us as well to life. And in so doing, created peace between us and God. And I want you to know that, and I want you to feel that and experience that this Christmas when you think about the Savior given for you. We just read this. We've been, for those of you that may be new with us, uh, we've been doing a series on the book of Romans. We've done 12 weeks so far, which means we have 18 weeks left. We're going to get to them next year, all right? But we just read in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have peace with him. And so even if you look at nativity and you see the sort of peace of the scene, when you look at the baby, when you think about Jesus given for you, This season, I want you to think about the peace that you have with God. Have you ever, um, have you ever been to, um, you ever stood at like a war memorial or uh, a monument or a battlefield or something like that and stood there and thought about the people who were willing to or who did give their life to secure your freedom, to secure your peace, to secure your life? Have you ever stood in that moment and, and the sense of awe and respect and honor that you feel in that moment? That is what we should feel when we look at the manger. On an even greater degree, 
to know that that child given for us allowed us to have peace with God so that we can live with God now and forever. And I want to, I want to say this to those of you, maybe you have, maybe you have forgotten this peace that Christ has given to you. And maybe in your, your own fear or your own self-effort or self-righteousness, you've allowed this insecurity to creep back over you. This fear that God is angry with you or that he's displeased with you or that he won't accept you or maybe so much that you feel like you may have lost your salvation and that you've become completely disconnected from God. I want to assure you of something today. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you have peace with God. Period. Now, your relationship and my relationship with God, the closeness of the relationship, the effectiveness of that relationship, that goes up and down all the time throughout the course of our life. We want it to be getting better and better and better. We want to become holier and holier and holier. But the peace that you have with God is the rock bed foundation on which your life and faith is built. And so trust him for that. And this Christmas, as you think about the Savior, the Jesus Christ given for you. Focus on that. Take some time to actually sit down. And if you want to do this, this, this would be like a, a little, uh, um, don't make it weird, but you could sit down, all right, find a nativity set. Find a nativity set. Set it up just the way you want it, or maybe it's just the baby in the manger, but find it, find a nativity set and just sit in front of it and look at it for a little while. Maybe it's not exactly what the nativity looked like, right? But, but just sit and take some time to pray and to thank God and to reflect and to think about your relationship with him. And just let that sort of soak down into your soul so that the busyness or the craziness so that the schedules and the planning and all the other stuff doesn't overtake what is most important. That at Christmas, God gave us a gift. Christ humbled himself and came here be the sacrifice for us so that we could have peace. And then this year, as we go through all of that, we look at him, we think about him with the respect and the honor and the awe that he deserves. So let's go to him now in prayer and thank God for the gift that he's given to us, and then we're going to sing about it as well before we leave. Father, we come to you and want you to know um, how much we love you. First and foremost, you are good. And in your goodness, you are gracious. And the the gift that you offered to us, we sinful, broken, fallen people who have run away from you and turned our back on you, you refused to do the same. And so in your grace and kindness and goodness and mercy, you sent a sacrifice for us. Because there's no way that we could make any kind of sacrifice that would atone for our sins. And so you gave us your son. And we thank you for that. 
this Christmas. We thank you for the gift, the offer of peace, the offer of joy, the offer of hope, the offer of life. And so we thank you for that today. To know that simply by putting our faith in Jesus, we can be saved. And then to walk after that in faithfulness to you as you transform us, as you change us, as you bring us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, and inspire in us holiness and goodness and joy and hope. And this Christmas, we want to experience it to the fullness. God, we're going to enjoy the the music and the cookies and the trees and the lights and the, the, the parties and the friends and the family and the snow, maybe, the everything. We're going to enjoy it. And we're going to enjoy it because we know that we are walking in the joy and the freedom provided by our Savior, Jesus. And we want to keep him in the center. We want to keep him as the focus. We're recognizing him, celebrating him. Jesus, we thank you that you gave your life, that you humbled yourself even to the point of death on the cross, and you gave your life for us. And we want you to know how thankful we are. In the whole way that we celebrate this season, Jesus, we want you to know how thankful we are. Thankful for the gift that you gave us, the life that you lived, the death that you died, and that you were resurrected, proving your power over sin and death, giving us confidence to know you are who you said you were. You are who the prophets said you were. And that today our life can be founded on you. We thank you for all those who are so faithful to you, who have continued to be faithful to you, that are models to us, examples to us, examples of faith and trust, to know that even in our own life as we walk with you and as we're being conformed into the image of your son, that as we face chaos and difficulty, frustration, and so much in our lives, that even when we look at things in our life and we feel like they're falling apart and we feel like they're not going to plan, we know that you can take all of that stuff. You can take all of that stuff and you can use it and you can use it to conform us, to change us, to transform us. When we love you, when we're called according to your purpose and that even though it may not be your plan, It's going according, or it may not be our plan. It's going according to your plan. So God, we thank you for that today. The peace that we have with you. The peace that it creates with each other. And we want everything that we do, not only today, but for this entire season to bring you honor and glory. And so we're offering it all to you now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.